Oh my goodness. Thank you both for coming at such a short notice. My doppelganger is trying to ruin our credit and also the entire future. Yeah, it's really lucky that we have two good friends who happen to have the perfect combination of skills to make portals. Thanks, Zach and Adam. Oh yeah, it's no problem at all. Interdimensional portal technology is very similar to HVAC systems. If you know one, you pretty much know the other. Plus, it's really important for portal technology to have a rad aesthetic. doesn't need a power source except pure coolness, but you really got to nail that down. Well, then I am glad we've got such a great artist here to help. And then just braze in this last tube and... We're ready to roll. Perfect. How do more people not know how to do this? I feel like this technology should be more popular. Chris, you've read comics. Dealing with alternate universes and weird timelines is exhausting. That is a really good point. All right. I got her. She was pretty tricky, but I found her hiding in a rundown old Arby's. Uh, get off me, you old creep. I have things to do. Oh? Like ruining young me's life? Killing my delightful coneflowers? Guilty as charged, you old coot. Uh, Zach? Adam? Are you all ready? Hit it. Dialing in a specific inescapable universe. In you go, you unpleasant lady. No! You can't hold me forever! Wow, that was pretty easy. Thanks for hunting her down, old me. No problem, kiddo. Uh, hey, I meant to ask. Where's old me? Is she okay? Uh, oh, oh yeah, definitely. She's just done with this comic booky nonsense. Oh, y yeah, I get that. Well... I've got a head. Need to volunteer at the future pet shelter. See you next time. Bye, old me. Okay, this seems pretty complicated. There's future use and alternate use? Yeah, a little bit confusing. There seems to be tons of versions of us. Infinite, you might say. Uh, Zach, I meant to ask, where did you send Reverse Christie? Oh, oh, I sent her to an inescapable universe where the only thing on TV is that awful dating show next oh you're cruel you ruin the future you gotta do the time well now that this is all over and we have you both here and already talking about time shenanigans do you want to talk about comics yes. yeah I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earth. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our third Battle of the Atom episode. And as you heard in our cold open, we have some fabulous guests with us here today. The hosts of the podcast, Battle of the Atom. How appropriate. Hi, Zach and Adam. Hi, Chris Hello. and Christy. Thank you for having us. Uh, absolutely. Are you guys ready to talk Boda on your on a show that is not your Boda? <laughs> I think we're both just very flattered that you chose to dedicate three whole episodes of your uh, your show <laughs> just to talking about Zach and I. It's very sweet. 
honestly, it was real heartfelt. <laughs> <laughs> now, though I can't imagine we have many listeners that don't also listen to you guys, do you want to tell the our, our readers uh, a little bit about your podcast? Uh, sure, yeah. So we are a podcast where Adam and I read three X-Men stories an episode, and we talk about them a bit. And then we rank them on our list from best to worst X-Men stories of all time. And look, guys, there's a lot of stories. There's a lot. And Chris has the distinct uh, distinct <laughs> distinction of uh, making us talk about the worst X-Men story of all time, uh, which is Uncanny X-Men, the Draco, the story about Nightcrawler's dad, he's Satan. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> yep. Thanks for that. <laughs> Uh, I read it along with you with you guys when you were reading it. I picked it up too because I'd actually never read it, and I was like, "This is really only fair." <laughs> yeah, it's 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 rough, and I don't like it. It's kind of kind of <laughs> what I'm getting at. I expected it to be like almost fun bad, but it was like actually just bad. No, because yeah. it's so long and the art is so bad, it transcends everything, and I hate it. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about Bow the Atom, <laughs> an event that is I'm- flawed. But also, I named a podcast after it, along with my good friend Adam here. So it also is in the top half of our list. Uh, we ninety four. I was yeah, yeah. We have two hundred and forty three things on the list right now, and it currently is at ninety eight. So oh, ninety eight. Yeah, it's right, right about in the middle. Well, before we get into discussion, we're gonna do our brief summary. Yeah, summary. Uncanny X-Men number 13, written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by Chris Pachalo, inked by Tim Townsend, Al Vey, Mark Irwin, Jamie Mendoza, and Victor Olazaba. Colored by Marte Gracia, lettered by Joe Caramagna, edited by Nick Lowe. The Uncanny and future X-Men teams are bamboozled as Psylocke is actually Ray's in disguise, and he has taken Young Beast and Iceman while evil Old Beast has somehow thrown the North Tower at the Uncanny crew. Luckily, Wiccan makes a quick save. Ice Hulk attacks the team, but Quentin Quire easily fends him off. Ilyana and Colossus teleport inside to head to Beast Lab. They are quickly stopped, somewhat explosively, by Molly and Deadpool. Ilyana teleports Deadpool high up in the air while Colossus fights Molly. He starts to lose ground, but Ilyana reappears and shoves her soul sword through Molly. Graphically, two down? The Uncanny-slash-Future X-Men team encounter young Xavier, who uses his psychic power to control Krakoa, who is currently the grounds of the Jean Grey school, to swallow the team. Uh Uh-oh. They start blasting through Krakoa, but Xavier commands the poor island-turned-yard to keep them contained. Raze enters Beast's lab, and the two of them and Zorn Jean prepare to send the kids back. They are interrupted by Ilyana, who Zornjean quickly telekinetically stops before telepathically controlling her to kill herself. Ilyana regains enough control to teleport away, and Colossus appears to gore Xavier with the Soul Sword. Two in one issue, my goodness. Ray's Beast and Zornjean try to send Beast and Iceman back in time, but it doesn't work. They are fairly perplexed about this, even sending a disguised Ray's back to make sure the time machine is working. It is. Before too much wondering, though, the Uncanny X-Men arrive in the lab, ready to fight for the cliffhanger ending. Wolverine and the X-Men number 37, written by Jason Aaron, penciled by Giuseppe Camoncoli, inked by Andrew Curry, 
colored by Matt Milla and Israel Silva, lettered by Clayton Cowles, and edited by Nick Lowe. Zorn Jean uses a coercive and gross psychic whammy on everyone, but especially Cyclops, and the future X-Men, oh, wait, Brotherhood, have disappeared. Cyclops, now very embarrassed, tells his X-Men to find them, but is interrupted by a now-healed Wolverine and his crew. After a little back and forth about whether or not this new future X-Men team is the good one, Wolverine decides that they are, in fact, quite good, considering future Wiccan healed his ripped-up torso. A bit of recon proves somewhat fruitless, except they find a blackbird is missing from the hangar. I guess they have several of these now. We cut to the future Brotherhood, who have decided that if they can't change the timeline by sending back the original five, they're going to bring about the future they want in a more destructive way. The O5 sit imprisoned on the back of the Blackbird and have figured out where they are being taken, Cape Citadel, the site of their first battle against Magneto. Law enforcement channels monitored by the X-Men received Homeland Security alerts and the now massive team of mutants head off. The future and present X-Men arrive, and a big fight breaks out, but it becomes pretty clear that the future Brotherhood are hopelessly outnumbered. Seems like everything is going to be okay? Until the cops show up, as S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarriers enter the airspace, demanding all groups to stand down. Zorn Jean activates her Master Stroke and uses her powerful psychic abilities to take command of the helicarriers and rain down missiles on them all as the issue ends. X-Men Battle of the Atom Number 2, written by Jason Aaron. Penciled by Asad Ribic and Giuseppe Camancoli, inked by Andrew Curie and Tom Palmer, colored by Ives Forcina, Andres Massa, and Guru EFX, lettered by Joe Caramagna, and edited by Nick Lowe. S.H.I.E.L.D. is freaking out considering their missiles are now fully out of their control, and the X-Men fight the future Brotherhood while simultaneously blowing missiles out of the sky. Meanwhile, Old Beast is basically acting like a doomsday street preacher, reminding us all, falsely in this case, that the humans will always try to hunt mutants to extinction. One of the missiles embeds itself in the dirt and doesn't explode? Bad tech? Nope. A beam shoots out from one of the missiles, killing Old Beast. It turns out the missiles were filled with sentinels, which seems to indicate some dark things about S.H.I.E.L.D. More fighting breaks out as Old Jubilee is blasted to death by a sentinel's beam, and young Xavier uses his psychic abilities to kill future Colossus. Ilyana strikes at Xavier and begins to turn into Dark Child before being clocked by Zorn Jean. Wolverine and Cyclops begin to fight Jean, who is becoming enraged at their respective decisions, which she blames for the future that she doesn't want. She wanted to live her normal life as young Jean prior to being brought to the future. In her anger, she defeats Cyclops and Wolverine, and things aren't looking so hot. Until the O5 step in to fight her, as young Jean isn't going to give up on her people. Zorn Jean's power begins to overload, and she erupts in a massive sentinel-destroying explosion. The X-Men head back via teleport to the Jean Grey school to mourn Jubilee and Colossus before making a future game plan. The O5 do really need to get home, even though they can't right now. Their new enemies are the Brotherhood, who are staying aloof in the present, as well as S.H.I.E.L.D., who now has Sentinel technology. In case you needed a reminder that folks aren't getting along, this little scene ends on an argument between Cyclops and Wolverine, who affirm their previous positions. Chimera agrees to stay in the present to hunt the Brotherhood, and Jubilee consoles adult Shogo on the loss of his mom, and they take a nice walk together. The present X-Men bid the future ones adieu, and present Iceman gets a nice pep talk from future Ice Wizard Bobby. Kitty Pride, disillusioned with the lack of support she and the O5 have gotten from the Jean Grey school, quit, 
and even more shockingly, defect to the Cyclops side, Finn. All right, Christy, Zach, Adam, did you like these last three issues slash this crossover as a whole? Do we need to tackle those as two separate questions there? Crossover as a whole in one part and last versus last three issues? Uh, I would. Maybe. I think given that you guys have separated it, it probably is good because the last three issues for me are a bit of a letdown and uh, the crossover yeah. as a whole is still something that I remind, remember very fondly. So uh, maybe we can get into those separately. Which one do you want to tackle first? I I kind of want to talk the last three issues first, because I agree a lot with Adam. I, I was super into this story until the ending. Well, it seems pretty clear that it wants you to think it's a complete story, but then leaves so many loose threads that it's really hard to call it something that's done. Yeah, it, it's it got a lot of potential, a lot of balls in the air, and some of it gets resolved, but not a lot of it. And it doesn't have the kind of resolution that you want from this. It feels like, okay, and now we're moving on to the next chapter. Yeah, and I think I didn't remember that, because when I was reading this the first time, it was as part of reading like all of these books on Marvel Unlimited, and I just kept going. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I think in my mind, more resolved than it did. And then, you know, when I halted at the end of Battle of the Atom 2, I went, oh, that's right. <laughs> some of this gets resolved later, and then even some of it, I think, kind of remains unresolved to this day. Oh, yeah. I mean, we still have characters from this arc that have never been well that have been followed on briefly but then have never appeared after like those one time that they pop back up so wherever the heck chimera and rays are right now in, in the mcu uh in the marvel universe not the mcu um we, we have no idea <laughs> they're, they're coming <laughs> yeah maybe maybe that's the next solo movie but i i really think where this falls apart is in the last two chapters i'm still on board for part eight you know we got chris Pachalo doing artwork but once we get into another issue of Giuseppe uh, Camancoli, and then it, like the event goes from being this thing that you're like, oh, this is going to kind of resolve Bendis's 05 thing. And then it's like, no, instead, what we're going to do is an anniversary issue. Like, we're going to go back to the first issue of X-Men and celebrate like whatever how many ever years of x-men and it was 50 this was their big 50th anniversary story yeah but did we need to do that like i would have preferred maybe something of a better resolution to this story i think both you guys talked about this in the last episode is the artistic whiplash that we get in this yes and going to Assad uh, and the last issue and the guest fill-in artists and the epilogue artists. And it's like, whoa, whoa. I feel like scrambled eggs. Which is, it's interesting to me because, like, Assad Ribic is a fantastic artist. He absolutely is. He's done some of my favorite stuff. But he is so distinctly different from everyone else in this arc. That it's a weird way to end it. And you get the feeling that maybe they weren't planning on having him. He was just available and they needed someone. Because this issue is half done. If you look on the floppies, it's miscredited. 
like all over the place. Yeah, it says that Cho does the art. Which, like it's, it says on the front, like Cho, which is wild. It also <laughs> says Bendis it wrote it, and to his credit, Bendis has said, "Ah, uh, yeah, no that that was that was Jason. I uh, I don't know why it says that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know who lost their job over that one, but it was uh, it was like completely wrong. Imagine picking that from off, off the shelf and seeing the names on the front, and then just turning the page and going, "What?" <laughs> but like, even even in that last issue, uh. Giuseppe Camicoli does a handful of the pages, but he really just does layouts, and they're rough layouts, and the finishes are done by uh, a couple of gentlemen who I am blanking on. But it that entire last issue is so rushed from an art standpoint, and so uneven that it really throws off the whole thing. Like, there's there's supposed to be an inset panel that is the cover of X-Men number one. Yes, and it looks it is. bad. <laughs> It looks real bad, and, actually. And, like, really small. Like, it seems like it should be... It's It looks like... It's like a postage stamp on the it, side of this. It looks like it was the thumbnail drawing for that page, and they said, no, we have to get this to the printer. Literally, the entire line is depending on this issue. <laughs> I mean, it kind of was at the time. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it's accurate, because every next issue was dealing with the fallout of this story. And, to be fair... Some of my favorite stuff in the line comes right after this with the uh, 05 moving to Cyclops' team with uh, Cyclops' kids who don't really show up in these three issues kind of finally getting established on their own with a very good Wolverine in the X-Men story where uh, Wolverine and Cyclops deal with their problems instead of angrily scowling at each other (laughs) with oddly aggressive dialogue, even for those two. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of that in this crossover. She was never your gene. <laughs> Jeez. That, those two, yeah, pretty much the entire crossover, I just kept waiting for them to really just go at it with each other in a way that I don't think they really got to do. No, not really. No, it was just this very odd tension. A lot of posturing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I'll, I'll tell you, it's the weird thing about the entire schism era of X-Men. Uh, where Wolverine and Cyclops kind of split the X-Men in half and each took, you know, a team of their own. There is never a big conflict between them. And maybe this was, you know, supposed to be it, or maybe AVX was supposed to be it, but none of them went that way. They all turn into a big team-up, which, when the X-Men are by default together, doesn't feel like anything special. It just feels like, oh yeah, this is what X-Men are. Yeah. And especially in a vacuum, the fact that we're reading this kind of without reading the surrounding content, it does just, it doesn't really seem unique. <laughs> like, of course they're teaming up. They always do. <laughs> well, and I think we've, we talked about this when we reviewed it on the show is just that the general idea of the crossover, um, it has so many really cool, big ideas in it, but at the same time, it's really just serving to kind of reset the chessboard from what Bendis did when he launched Uncanny and then launched all new or when he launched all new and then launched Uncanny, everybody ends up on different teams at the end of this. And you're like, okay. And then there's huge portions of this story that are basically just like, Oh, I don't agree with you and I'm going to go here and I don't agree with you. So I'm going to go over here and let's, let's fight, but it's all psychic and we're not showing it. And you know, like, it's definitely longer than it needs to be because, you know, they wanted it to be line wide, but 
it's it's a little bit messy because of that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm being very negative about this storyline, but I want to be very clear that I am like in love with the future brotherhood. They are some of my favorites. I love when they come back and all new. I'm I'm trying to plug them into um my own webcomic. So like I, I love these characters, but this story is wacky. Is this in the first time in X-Men history that we literally got a team of future X-Men, not like future mutants, like literally X-Men, but they're from the future. Because hmm. I was trying to find, I was like, surely it's happened before. But I was like, no, I don't know if it has. I mean, we get the, the Earth 811, but they never all come back. And they were kind of, I guess, um, they were technically X-Men, but I don't know if they were ever called that. Well, I, I think I you're mean, neglecting. They were. Uh, I think were they? Ne- yeah, they were, okay. they were X-Men, though. They never come back in force uh, to the 616. No. You, you're bringing up an excellent th- point, and I'm trying to think through it, because I'm not sure that we've had, like, a squad come back from the future up until this point. Right. Like, no, we, we've seen other versions, like X-Men 2099, of course. Sure. Uh, Zach's favorite. They but... are, look, 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 look. One, at some point, you guys are going to have to cover Fall of the Hammer, the X-Men 2099, slash Spider-Man 2099, slash Doom 2099, slash whatever else it was. Uh, was Punisher 2099 in that one? I don't, I, I think he might have been. Anyway, <laughs> it, it introduces you to the Asgardians of 2099? That sounds fun. Uh, it's, I'm not even going to call it good. It really is comics, though. <laughs> I might have that. A friend of mine from college somehow got every single issue of the 2099 stuff in a big chunk from our comic book store. Like somebody sold all theirs, and he, I was, he was like, "Borrow these." I'm like, "I really don't want to." And he's like, "No, borrow <laughs> these." And he just like threw, he like left them at my house. Well, I've moved like three times with them at this point, and I just I need to give them back. <laughs> or read <laughs> all of them because they're they sure are comics printed on paper. <laughs> <laughs> Probably newsprint if I if I remember the nineties properly. That sounds. Right. I have them like twenty feet away from me. I could check, but I think that's a little <laughs> off topic. A little bit, but I I think I I honestly think this is the only squad of x-men and the speaking of the 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 thing as a whole at least until it became super obvious i was i was totally like duped by the by the big twist of them being the bad guys mm-hmm. and like until the the deadpool does his speech in the middle and then it's like how oh, they bought it i was like yeah I, these guys must be the good guys for sure because i just expect xavier to be a jerk and then everybody else seemed fine <laughs> I didn't know who to root for, who was my point of view person Mm. for the majority of this story. So once we got the twist, I was like, okay, I have some bad guys, some of the guys I don't (laughs) like. But I really, I wasn't sure who I was rooting for here. It seemed for a while it was supposed to be Gene, but then it seems like the individual authors kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about specific characters. Well, Well, I'll tell you, shoehorning in... Uh, Woods X-Men run into this crossover feels like a huge mistake. It was very odd. You know, it really just should be a Bendis party here. And the fact that that gets thrown into the mix uh, with Aaron's stuff and Bendis's stuff, it just, 
it's too extraneous. You know what I mean? And yes, you get this stuff with, I, I do absolutely love the concept of adult Shogo being, uh, what is his name? Sentinel X. Sentinel X. Uh, yeah. Right? Like that stuff's cool. But in the meantime, it's like, who's going to babysit baby Shogo? And you're like, okay, I guess this is an <laughs> issue of this crossover that I need to read. <laughs> One of my uh, big complaints is Jubilee just throwing that baby at everybody in like every issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, look. I, love I get Jubilee, it. Mom. <laughs> yeah, I, under- I, get look, it. I understand it. <laughs> when we're at Christie's family's house, I'm basically just like holding an outstretched baby, like pointing <laughs> them at people. Or holding somebody yeah. else's baby. Yeah, or somebody else's baby. It's just lots of babies. Kind of, well, this is what kind of a baby go with... around. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we do with babies in the Marvel Universe. We create little force bubbles around them and they just. <laughs> They bounce around in fight scenes, and <laughs> they're okay. It's, it's tradition. It's like how in Europe, you leave your babies in the stroller outside. Yes. Yep. It's just that, except it's- in, it's, it's a gerbil ball. <laughs> <laughs> no, cable with, ha- baby Cable has one. With all oh, that, man. I will say that even though from a storytelling perspective or a line-wide perspective, you probably didn't need to shoehorn in Wood's books, I like Wood's issues- a lot better than Aaron's issues in this crossover. It feels like Aaron, who's a writer I really enjoy, doesn't know what tone to strike on this. He's playing his team as like big opposition to the 05 into the, you know, like the uncanny team. But it just creates a weird whiplash of who are you supposed to root for? What's the through line of this story that switches darn near every issue? Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. after the halfway point of this crossover. I mean, there there has to be something that drives Kitty away, though, that makes her make the, the switch. So, I mean, I don't know if that narrative was just trying to push that that had to happen. I don't know if Kitty had to leave the team, had to switch sides. But without that, I don't know, that opposition coming from them, it, the switch wouldn't make any sense. Although I don't know that it makes sense to me already. Christy, do you know where that gets followed up and deeply explained? Where? It's in, it's in a five-issue <laughs> miniseries called All New Dupe. <laughs> oh, there was a question about this. Yeah, and did we, Dupe, did we actually read it? No. <laughs> Dupe does propose to her and makes her reevaluate a lot of things in her life. <laughs> oh. oh. No. Okay. It's... It's a challenging miniseries, <laughs> but it's got a lot to love uh, if you are a fan of Battle of the Atom, because it's literally happening within the margins of this story. Oh. I mean that I'm, in an incredibly I'm literal so way. The margins are the location. <laughs> it's literally in the margins. I think that's a good point, though, is that, you know, I I said before that this crossover serves to reset the chessboard, but the motivations of why certain people are like so offended and, you know, this, that and the other thing, it just it doesn't always line up like I was perfectly fine with the outcome because, like Zach said, the stories that come after this in the individual books are really good. But I'm reading the crossover and I'm going, why is everybody so angry? Like, is this really stuff we need to be chasing each other around about? Or, you know, like, 
I guess let's just beat up the future bad guys. That that seems like a better use of our time. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, if they just would have given me like eight issues over eight months of like imminent art of just them beating up the future X-Men, I probably would have just preferred that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think um, I would absolutely, I said before, I want this just to be a Bendis party. And like, if this had just been a storyline that played out in uncanny and all new, I would have been fine with that. You know, because that's kind of what was happening already. But, you know, X-Men needs its line-wide crossovers. So, and I guess Frank Cho was too busy to finish the first issue or the last issue. Man. <laughs> There's so many artists on this. The I always forget that Kevin Coley did the layouts and didn't actually do the finishes. Because when I look at, like, we've we've already covered quite a bit of Kevin Coley from Spider-Man, Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Um and I've, I've like really liked his art there. I think he draws like a pretty great Spider-Man. And I just looked at that compared to this and went, this doesn't seem quite right. <laughs> oh, yeah. But... No, his, his art is super weak here. And there's obviously reasons for that based on this schedule. But like he's the most house style artist here, but it doesn't yeah. fit in with the rest of the book. I mean, when you're going up with David Lopez, who has a bit of a cartoony vibe to him, Stuart Immonen, who is a comics god, and Chris Bachelot. <laughs> it just, he, Capicoli, or Capicoli does not fit at this stage. Now, he's going to get a heck of a lot better. <laughs> but in these these issues, it just doesn't work. True, and I guess he'll eventually be able to, like, finish his issues fully like he'll have time i guess is, is another one of the yeah, big that's a things big, that's it's really important to have time to finish your artwork <laughs> i'm that, that I'm, i feel like we could have a huge discussion about that in regards to to comics and how sometimes they're doing it really right like in hawks pox it seems like they've been given ample time to mm-hmm. finish these issues and so and we done... got age of x man out of that so because they needed yeah. a lot of time they needed a <laughs> lot of time enough that's time true. to do 36 issues in an alternate universe where at, uh, where Nate Gray, the X-Man, said no one's allowed to have sex. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Nate, with his abstinence-only education world. It's great. Uh, I love it. Absolutely love it. That'll uh, be fun to cover eventually, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Mike, can you imagine covering something that we read as... Well, have have you... Any of the crossovers that we've covered, have you actually read them as they were coming out? No, I don't. I, not even this one. And th- this one I read very soon after. Like, mm-hmm. I think I think seven months after. <laughs> yeah. So that would be bizarre to cover something that we actually read, like, in real time. Flashpoint. I read Flashpoint as it was coming oh, out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, it's kind of weird. I was reading X-Men as this was coming out. But then right as this event got ma- got uh, got started, I got married and ran out of money. <laughs> So I got to about the part where this episode starts, and I just did not have the ability to get comics anymore from a fiscal standpoint. Uh, So I I was left unresolved for a good amount of time on this one. When this was coming out, we were particularly kind of kind of not swimming in it either. Uh, I was at like a comics low point. I was probably getting like four comics a month. Look at you, Mr. Fancy, with your four (laughs) (laughs) That's one a week. That's one a whole... And I would pick them up, like, every two months. Yeah, that was a a real low point, we'll say. Um, 
Well, Zach, you, you did uh, maybe drop off at the correct time. Uh, yeah, you're good. You're, you're checking back in and going, wait, what? <laughs> now, I don't know if Chris or Christy, if you made this note, but you, you said you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Zornjean No. <laughs> Zorna. Zorna, future, as she was originally scene. called and never brought up in the comic. Wait, yeah. no way was she called Zorna. Yeah, it was in the original marketing it was Zorna, and I remember I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. That's girl Zorn. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's so bad. Oh. Zorn Gray. But this does use her, utilizes her as the, the... We don't quite realize what the Future Brotherhood's whole deal is yet. That doesn't get explained until the second time they come back. But what was your take on, like, making future gene... Future teen gene the villain of this uh this crossover um, it felt like another version of no more mutants okay all over again to me i don't know just well you i don't you haven't gotten to read dark phoenix saga yet and this is like a version of that where almost to me where she doesn't get a redemption and instead literally explodes Go ahead. It just seems like a temper tantrum <laughs> that went horribly wrong. If I may provide a little bit of context to this, because I think, you know, and me and Adam, I think we talked about this on our last episode of the podcast. That's one of the downsides of talking about comics as individual, like, points in time instead of as part of a larger run. Zorna here, you know, future old Gene, uh, mm -hmm. is really a reflection of you know, the O5 Jean Grey, it's to show where she's going because she was the main character of all new X-Men, especially up until this point. Mm -hmm. And she had been making more rash decisions, more irresponsible decisions, more unethical decisions up in this run. And I really think that their intent, whether they executed it well or not, but their intent with having, you know, future old Zorn Jean being the baddie here to say, hey, this is the path that Jean could go down if she's still stuck like this. And to make her, who was the biggest advocate for staying in the present, question her decisions and question, am I really doing the right thing? And I think on that point, it's successful. Now, whether the rest of it gets executed well, that's up for debate. Sure. It, it is interesting that Jean, in a lot of incarnations, is used as sort of a cautionary tale, one way or the other. Well, and they never really quite explain. There's a moment in this crossover where uh, Zorn Jean shows young Jean something yep. about her future that mm -hmm. convinces young Jean, yeah, we'll go back. And then when they try and send them back, it doesn't work, which is then a, a, a problem that, you know, extended into Bun's X-Men Blue, but, and then into extermination. But I still think don't know what that was supposed to be. Was it that you're increasingly going to be, because Teen Gene was already being set up as being more powerful than original Silver Age Gene was, you know? So was the idea that she was just going to lose control until she blew up or something? I don't know. Like those are the things that I would hope that a series like this might resolve instead of just having her, reenact x-men a scene from x-men one which is really just a couple of pages uh if you go back to x-men one and, and then blow up 
mm-hmm. you know, and then it's epilogue time. Yeah, then, then it's epilogue time, right? I I, I keep for, I keep forgetting just how what things that don't get resolved too. You don't find out what killed Dazzler in this crossover. You know, it's like gigantic monsters. But... Well, it's it's implied to be Animex from the first issue, right? I mean, it is similar to her constructs, but you don't actually see her. I would sure, like to just scene. say that that is the first time I have ever thought about that, that it could have been Animax. Because yeah, I said that. I, I have... Yeah, Christy's n- right. Christy's on top of this. She knows what's up. You guys <laughs> you guys are smarter than me because I Christy's would big dog never have put that here. together. <laughs> that was Everybody great. Good big dog. That's great. Well, you know, you kind of hoped that that... But there was some continuity. Some, you know, maybe that's just me wanting there to be things that aren't there but it makes sense oh it makes a lot of sense you're making me feel incredibly dumb because i i've always wondered what the heck that was all about and why that was there like if it is her why isn't she in the scene i i guess just you know well um, it's interesting too it it seems like if this is if that if that is the the future timeline where things don't deviate I assumed that Animax would have already been stopped because they stop her in the first issue. Well, she mm. comes back. Bendis oh, uses her like true. several other times, right. including I mean, his the... Iron Man run. That's wild. Bendis has such pet <laughs> characters. I mean, when the X Men stop a bad guy, they're stopped forever. They're stopped Chris. forever. <laughs> Apocalypse. I have. I don't even know. I have his. Fir- I have the first appearance, and I don't think he, he comes back. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we solved this Animax mystery. Oh, yes. No, I I feel complete now, guys. I really do. <laughs> but I, I will I will agree with whoever. I think it was Adam who started it. I forget who. It doesn't matter. That there's a lot of stuff that's left unsaid in this event, especially regarding what's going on in the future. And I kind of prefer that because you can make your own narrative based on the tiny little snippets you're given of everything. Mm-hmm. You get to know, hey, something bad went down with magic in the future, and that screwed up a lot of the X-Men. You get little Mm -hmm. ideas of, like, what would have been the big crossover events of their timeline uh, thrown and referenced. Yeah, Jason Aaron loves to do that, too. There's a bit that he does in his his Wolverine and the X-Men run, and it just reminded me of that. And I like to think that at some point... The, The, like, the line editor and all the editors and the writers sat down and just started, like like throwing names at a dartboard like with there's like the the of like apocalypse crusade and like a lot of it's stuff that building wars the baxter building wars and that's i love stuff like that like that's when i do D &D, I like to make up names of like of like fictional places that are like just for flavor or even like names of battles and so things like this to me are like just candy (laughs) Well, I, I think that's all it is. It's it's flavor for this story because it doesn't really matter how you got bad X-Men and good X-Men. It's just this is what happened in the future and now they're back to change the past. Right. Is this this might be the one time that I feel like we get a, a, a fairly decent X-Men future? We're like, yes, there's bad guys, but they're not like being hunted to extinction. <laughs> No, that in fact, what Ileana sees is <laughs> is not even close to accurate. You know what I mean? Like, right. I thought she, that was kind of clever. It oh was, yeah. I think that's a, a really clever idea. And that I all of the future stuff that's in here, I I love it. 
I love mm-hmm. the future X-Men. I love the future Brotherhood. That's when, why when uh, I saw that they were going to do that Iceman special, I got so excited. And then that's not really what that was. But, you know, I do think there's a lot to mine here. And if anybody wants to retread these uh, these characters, there's fun stuff going on here. Yeah, I would really like to see a return to them. They're they're some of my kind of favorite future future cast members. Mm-hmm. Is it weird that I feel like the stakes for the future X Men dying are just really low? I'm like, I didn't I didn't really care when they died. No, that's right. Well, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I think it gave it gave some of our characters some interesting beats. Right. Like Shogo, Shogo kind of had to deal with his mom dying, but then getting to like hang out with his young mom. Right. Which kind of kind of both made for an interesting little vignette, but also made for kind of no stakes because it's like, oh, your mom's still here. She's just young mom. Yeah. At the, the beginning, I think it was the last issue. You just get that text of, you know, not all the X-Men are going to get to leave the island. And I'm like, OK, the, the future X-Men die <laughs> and nothing's really that different. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think that speaks to one thing about this event. Nothing really changes. The only lasting consequence of this event is that the O five switch to the summer school. Yes, Kitty, Kitty plus O five leave, and that's that's like the big thing. Like, I mean the the future Brotherhood are still hanging out, and they they're they're kind of a kick the can down the road problem. But yeah, because because the the Kitty and the O five thing that that's like an immediate consequence. Like literally next issue of all new X-Men is about them hanging out with Cyclops at, at Al. But yeah, it is, it, it, it built itself as a, like, this is going to be a big thing. And I think we all probably thought that the O five was, were going to be resolved one way or the other. And it, it was really almost like a sort of midway point of, of their, of their being there. Maybe it probably it feels to me like a midway point, but I bet it really wasn't. I think they were there for like years and years after. I oh, like yeah. to think of it as a series of off ramps. Mm. They they continued with the O five story to build in opportunities to say, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna stop this now. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take this exit, and they're just gonna be gone." Because you got it with Battle of the Atom, you got it with Secret Wars. You got it with what uh, Dennis Halliam was doing uh, with All New X-Men, where he has said, yeah, I, I had a way for them to go home at the end of my run if we needed to. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Cullen Bunn in X-Men Blue, and then eventually with Extermination and Ed Brisson's stuff. They constantly had a plan saying, we got to get rid of them at some point. They they can't just stick around. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if that was actually necessary. If they could have just always been there and we would have just been okay with it. I I, I would have been fine mm-hmm. with that. I honestly would have been. I, I just think that it's at some point, and I know it's probably not going to be like anytime soon, especially with Bendis working for DC, but at some point, maybe like five, 10 years down the road, somebody has to do the oral history of what the original, then the second then the third, what was plan A, B, C, and D along this chain? Because everybody has to be mum about it because especially, you know, until extermination got wrapped up, nobody was allowed to say what the original ideas were. And we know that it's just from talking to Cullen, uh, from talking to Dennis, that there were original plans and that they were thrown out the window. And I would just love to know what those were. 
Adam, um, be- Adam, we may have done the most investigating on this out of anyone on the I planet. Clear. We're the only <laughs> ones that care. This might actually be our calling. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> no, we'll get th- to the bottom of it. It's like that, and currently, uh, this is somewhat un- unrelated, but I am really fascinated with the oral history of Hoxpox before it's even started. Mm-hmm. Like, because I feel like I, I, I feel like I hear kind of slightly different takes from everybody who was involved with the stopgap stuff and then the uh, plans the, the the actual plans and i would i would love to just see like a timeline or like meeting notes or something and i i feel like marvel not making like mini documentaries for all this stuff it, they're like kind of kicking themselves i know that like six people would watch it but yeah like, no Chris, that's just because you want the exact same content I want, and that's why we're friends. But <laughs> no one else cares. No one else cares. I just really like seeing this how the sausage is made. And I feel like it is literally like our niche group of people are like, yes, this would be cool. And like, you know, Joe, who who is probably not like huge into podcasts and still picks up his comics, you know, every Wednesday, but isn't isn't very extremely online. Like the, he doesn't care. <laughs> The documentary well, because... could interview you and Christine and be like, they were in the room when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I think most comic uh, readers are, are living and dying by whatever the new solicits are for what's coming out, you know, six months from now, as opposed to, you know, for me, I want the Sean Howe book. I want the Abe Reisman investigative reporting where he goes and knocks on Steve Ditko's door. You know, I'm so excited that he's working on a Stan Lee bio right now, but like it would be cool if we could peek behind the curtain, but something tells me that just the corporate culture is not ever going to allow for something like that to happen until it's not really a problem for them to reveal this, the secret recipes. Yeah. That's, that's why things like the book, like Marvel, the untold story are so cool, but it's so far removed that like, yeah, sure. We can find out all about it because it has no bearing on today if we know or not really (laughs) yeah let's tell some racy stories from the 60s whereas we want the inside scoop on like last year yeah (laughs) (laughs) the last five years stuff that the people who wrote this are still writing things (laughs) right 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 one thing that i kind of wanted to cover was is it there's a bit where the o5 kind of get there like this is our moment moment and i feel like it's supposed to be a real youth moment and I feel like it's weird that they're the ones to get it. I get that why they get it because of the story, but I just think of all of the all of the interesting sort of different diverse youth that have come up in like even like the past Morrison and later. And it was just odd to me to see like, hey, these kids from the 60s, it's their time. And I, it kind of it it, it kind of didn't it fell flat for me because of that maybe because i'm i'm so attached to a lot of the other characters and i see them as like the true youth i was just like all right i guess yeah it's their it's their time whereas i really just don't understand why they want to stay (laughs) (laughs) go home Um, there's there's bottled water now uh they like that (laughs) that's wild they one one thing that blows my mind about that entire period is they couldn't make up their mind about actually which time point they came from doesn't matter it's whatever makes the best joke time is an illusion because if they're let's say cyclops is like 28 as as i feel like jdw likes to 
always he can't be 30 isn't that the deal lies lies he's like he's he's like 36 but anyway let's say he's like 28 and then his youth version is 16 so it'd be 12 years ago and when this was coming out 12 years ago would have been like 2002 or 2001 there was bottled water (laughs) look 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 it's just it's all made up marvel time will never make sense and it's okay it's fine it's fine it's, you this need to apply, I... like, Simpsons rules to it. They're never going <laughs> to grow cool. up. And it's okay. Just accept it. This was the thing I feel like I got really stuck on when I first started reading comics. I just kept, like, asking you all these questions. I'm like, wait. So, they're, they're always the same age. Yep. But <laughs> the time periods that they exist in are different. But then I had to tell you that certain people grow up and then sometimes stop. Sometimes people grow up and sometimes they don't. <laughs> And most of them exist in their mid to late 20s. Yeah. Okay. That's a a stopping point. That's how it works. To go back to um, your point, Chris, about the idea that this, like, (laughs) homogenous group of 60s kids are going to be like, it's their time to shine. I do think it's important to note that when, when Bendis did this, it was controversial. You know, that is true. Bring when, the entire decision. I yeah. Agree. Like when the solicits came out that he was going to do this, I, I think there was a bit of a backlash on it. And then it was not until the issues started coming out and we started seeing this gorgeous artwork from Eminem that people started getting on board and going, oh, wait, this is kind of cool. Like, I, I don't necessarily understand why he's doing this, but this is a really neat series and I want to see where it goes. But I do think that there is something like inherently problematic with just the idea that they are the the past and then they are like the future. And I think where he ran into that the most is probably in like Black Vortex, where like we're already supposed to be getting sort of what these how these characters are supposed to be different. And the best we could really do was give angel fire wings <laughs> yes <laughs> you know which then had to be retconned so that they could be sent back to the past uh in extermination so <laughs> it it becomes an interesting thing until it doesn't and you know there's a lot of people out there who who really are i i in, i enjoyed dennis's uh version of all new x-men um it has its critics and i think there's there's probably a lot of people out there who would say that once you know, that the 05 should have been sent back, you know, well before Bendis wrapped up his run. But that's another thing that we would love an oral history on is just what the heck happened leading up to Secret Wars, because we really don't know what that transition was all about. And and they had a free pass to just hit the reset button after Secret Wars, and they decided not to do that. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the 10 of us demand demand this oral history <laughs> which uh if i may does also bring about one of the most lasting consequences of this and that is that in extraordinary x-men colossus grows out the fu manchu he does <laughs> so i can't remember where christy asked this and i was I, I think i gave her an incorrect answer but where was present colossus at this time was he in was he in x-force yeah he uh, he was shacking up yeah. with domino yes. that's right <laughs> That's right. Who, the they were smartly only, in the only couple that I ship in the yep. entirety of all of things. I don't care about anyone 
in their relationship. It's fiction. It doesn't matter. I want Domino and Colossus to be happy together. Me too. I agree. I loved that run. I read it on mostly on a porch in California. And so I have some very nice that sounds thoughts delightful. about this run. Yeah. I brought this uh, in our, our, our last LA trip when our Elvis oh, was baby. Yeah. I just read the whole thing. Well, was there anything else that you you guys wanted to cover in our discussion before we get to some questions? No, I'm good. I'm great. All right. Questions it is. Should we do uh, a question from our friend Charlie Davis first? Yeah. I mean, probably. I know Charlie. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we t- we, three, the three of us on this podcast have, have spent a weekend with them. <laughs> I once snored so loud they had to sleep on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> I was sick that weekend to be <laughs> I thought I was going to get sick that next week. I was convinced we were going to get concred. Yeah. Well, Genetic Ghost asks, what do you think the future X-Men's favorite cereals are? Uh, Colossus is definitely eating something with, like, a high fiber content. <laughs> He's a raisin bran guy. Like, yeah, like grape nuts or something yeah. like that. <laughs> right? Jubilee is definitely still snacking on something, like, very sugary, so... Cocoa Puffs. Ooh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Or, or even something junkier, like, uh, mm. like don't they make like berries. Reese's cereal or something like oh, Reese's just cereal. absolutely putrid? What, whatever. Is, <laughs> she's eating. What, well, no. Reese's see, this is this is a this is a mean Jubilee. This is Wolverine, not Jubilee. So I like that's to true. think she's eating steel cut oats every morning. <laughs> <Whoa! laughs> a, a, a nice one. hot cereal. <laughs> Let's see. Adult Shogo uh, is definitely taking care of himself. So, life. I don't know. Maybe like... <laughs> like a life cereal? A life cereal. It yeah. just seems wholesome. Nice. Or okay. like a... Oh, that's nice. Oh, like okay. some Kashi stuff. You know that, oh, that yeah. brand? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Something but, all natural. Yep. That v- very expensive brand of cereals. <laughs> uh, who else is even on the future? Oh, oh, uh, 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 Bobby, um, Ice Wizard. Yeah. Is taking himself very seriously, so uh, <laughs> let's see. Maybe Quentin he's like Choir only eats tricks. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true. He has he to have choir. the fruit-shaped tricks. Anything else, he gets very mad about. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of picturing uh, Ice Wizard as like a Cookie Crisp kind of guy. Maybe. Oh, like... because of the wizard. <laughs> maybe. I like that idea. Yeah. I like that so many of them are old. All I can think of is them eating like raisin bread. Yeah. Yeah. Do we miss anybody? Is that the team? Uh, there's Wiccan. Oh, Wiccan. Uh, yeah. Wiccan uh, feels like he definitely has a canonical cereal that he eats, and I don't know. Is he like a, like a Honey Nut Cheerios kind of individual? Kind yeah, of. Maybe he likes the classics. I was, I was thinking Lucky Charms. Yeah, that's Ooh, a good one. Maybe Wiccan just waits around for the Halloween cereals to come out and like Ooh! hoards them. Uh-huh. Wiccan's like, real into Booberry, and he's Booberry, the only one. <laughs> Frankenberry, yep. Fruit Brute. The fr- oh man, Fruit Brute. That yeah, that doesn't show up very much. <laughs> nah, Fruit Brute hasn't shown up since 2010 with Yummy Mummy. <laughs> I don't know what that is. There's there's Halloween based cereals. Christy? Count Chocula? You're aware of him? No, Count Chocula is a yes. year round, yes. of course. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. oh my god. I feel like I'm there's really a, missing There's an extended out. universe of Count Chocula. <laughs> <laughs> the Count Chocula extended universe. Alright, our friend Niravel asks, thoughts on the dupe mini that takes place between the pages of this crossover? We kind of got to that. 
I you and I read not read it. I so, read Zach, it. how do you feel about this? It's a challenging book. I don't necessarily love David LaFontaine's art in it. I think Peter Milligan is trying some stuff, and it's not wholly successful. But I do love Dupe, and I love seeing Ecstatics who show up in that. So That's very good. I didn't know they showed up. Yeah, yeah. They. It turns out they haven't been dead. They've just been chilling in a hot tub for a while. <laughs> that's that's very on brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have one from at Josh Garvey. He has a bunch, but some of them are not uh, are not content appropriate for our all ages podcast. But we are going to have to answer: Is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think so. No. Whoa! <laughs> what are you guys talking about? It's a hot dog. It's a different thing. It's a tube of meat. Two slices of bread. Doesn't matter meat. about the bread. It's a tube of meat. <laughs> if you take a smoked sausage and you cut it in half and then you have those semicircles of meat that you stack on each other, that's a sandwich. A tube of sausage is not a sandwich. It's a hot dog. Taxonomically different thing. And it's is, weird uh, that in the year of our Lord, 2019, Jonathan <laughs> Hickman, people are still having this argument. Is it? Is a hamburger a sandwich? Yes! <laughs> a hamburger is a sandwich, but a, a hot dog's not. Yes, because of the shape of the meat. Yeah, Zach that doesn't. That Zach doesn't prefers add a up. mostly two dimensional. <laughs> that doesn't meat. add up. <laughs> if I put four hot dogs on a hamburger bun, no, those are that... four hot dogs on a hamburger bun. We if have I... words for a reason. Remember when KFC did the sandwich and it was chicken on the outside? Yes, and that was a sandwich. But there was no bread. Doesn't matter. Meat was the new bread. So, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, What's I, weird is that sandwich is healthier than a Big Mac. <laughs> really? Is yeah. that true? It's because it, it didn't have as quite as many carbs because oh, yeah, it was a yeah, meat sandwich. Carbs, right? <laughs> yeah, it was whole white meat chicken breasts. Those are very healthy for you, even when the colonel does deep fry them with his 11 herbs and spices. <laughs> uh. Now, my, I, at the time we were on Weight Watchers, which is this somewhat aside that had less points i think than a big mac so that's what i mean i'm not trying to tell anybody how to how to how to live their lives or eat their food you, you well the double down is not available all year round so you don't have <laughs> that option that's most a of the time. uh josh also asks do you ever no i i, I want to ask you guys this but i'll do it we will not do it on the air um you're just what... teasing people now he is just te- <laughs> well he's just teasing us on what X team would NFL Super Pro best fit? X Factor. Excalibur. Excalibur. No. Wait, no. How, I thought how it was kind of an X Force guy. <laughs> NFL Europe failed. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm still going with it. He he's a misfit. He it, it, he doesn't belong in the X universe. Throw him on the <laughs> British you, team. Who do you think he's playing for? <laughs> NFL Super I'm, Pro is here's the here's the plot. Okay, we may have to explain he's NFL for Super the Pro. Dragons? <laughs> Hold on, here's the pitch. Here's the pitch. NFL Super Pro is no longer playing for the NFL. Okay, he's sort of a has been, and you know his heyday is long over. He's got a little CTE, and he's got to be just relaxing somewhere. And he joins up with Excalibur, and he's basically the babysitter for uh, Captain Britain and Megan's kid. That's oh, how man. I'm going to roll with it. 
I kind of no. want him on Exiles, no, if he's to be in, if he's playing Excalibur, if he is on Excalibur, then he is playing for the Rain Fire uh, from 2007, which was the last year <laughs> that NFL Europe was a thing. I don't know how I, you know I, that. I, it's untenable. <laughs> I, I don't understand it, what's going on. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're talking about NFL Europe, Christy. Please try and keep up. They were a defunct B League of the NFL that played in Europe for a while. Uh, that did not go very well, but they did have the Cologne Centurions and the Frankfurt Galaxy and the Hamburg Sea Devils. Frankly, actually only kind of popular in Germany. And even then, not that much. I don't know how you are just rattling this off. <laughs> also, because... NFL Super Pro. <laughs> go ahead, Zach. It's just because if you wanted to handicap somebody in Madden, you made them play one of the uh, NFL Europe teams. Oh, <laughs> oh, that would, oh, now it's a video game, so it makes sense. Got it. I, now, Christy, NFL. You guys think I don't watch football? I watch a lot of football. No, it's I know you watch thing. a lot. of football. I just don't tweet about it. But I just didn't think you watched a lot of NFL Europe football. <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all. Things got real boring in the mid-2000s for Zachary Jenkins. <laughs> they were kind of boring. Like, there wasn't enough internet yet. <laughs> but, Chris, the NFL Super Pro is a NFL superhero that is very short-lived. Fabian Niseza got to write a little yeah, bit of it. Got that... to. It was a privilege. <laughs> I would be shocked if it wasn't short-lived. Uh, you could not find get, him on Marvel Unlimited. He did get Jets tickets for it, so he kind of won out. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Good for you, faves. All right. Rob Secundus has a couple of questions, but I'm going to do them in reverse order. If you could pick one character slash set of characters to set a Boda-type event around, past, present, future versions all hang out, who would they be? I'm guessing this is maybe in the greater X universe, or maybe because we don't, aren't really an X-Men podcast. Maybe Rob means anybody. I would do it with green lanterns. Oh, okay. That's cool. Isn't that just kind of green lantern all the time? Well, sometimes they do the future stuff and that's kind of, it's kind of been done to some extent, but Mm -hmm. I would love this idea of like some weird prehistoric green lantern. Like, we do it like Jason Aaron style, and we find out that there was like a caveman Green Lantern a million years ago or something. That's mm-hmm. like, that's Chris Candy. It's already been done with Squirrel Girl, so I'm good. <laughs> it, oh, that yeah. was really good, too. It was it really was. good. That was maybe better than it this event. It was better than Battle of the Atom. Squirrel Girl is awesome. Zach, do you have a, an idea for this? I mean, I know how I would answer this, but. Uh, I honestly think the new mutants would be interesting mm. because. We've seen them, like, as kid kids, mm-hmm. and we've seen them, like, you know, even if you just picked two different times from their past, so X-Force era where they're darker and grittier, and frankly, to the kids, would be their bad future. And you yeah. get the kind of more optimistic, kind of level-headed versions that they are now. I think it I think it could be a very interesting thing. And I guess, as I say that, we did get that with a... Uh, ben Robb story in the 90s, New Mutants Truth New or Mutants, Death, Truth which or I death. had forgotten about until yep. right now. So good for you, New Mutants. That had some cool stuff in it. I think for myself, I'm like fascinated with the idea of, uh, you know, different time periods of individual characters being like in different moral areas. And I know that's a big thing that I, I play with in Bish and Jubes is that I, I wanted there to be like another version of, of Bishop who didn't even realize he was Bishop, who's also evil. 
So like, that's why I love the future brotherhood. And I love the idea of there being like this punk, butt version of a young Xavier in the future that is just mind controlling X X men to just repeatedly come back and figure out how to destroy the present X-Men. I just think it's, it's great. So anything like that, I'm on board for. Sounds good. Um, our last question is, is very insular, but I think it'll be fun. Rob Secundus wants us to briefly debate the four Hoxpox setting theories. I didn't know there were four. I thought we only had three. Um, here is my final word on the fact that the X-Men are definitely going to Mars. Again, I made this up based on <laughs> three covers and two ads and no other information. So the fact that just today I saw five different people, not even that like follow me on Twitter, saying, oh yeah, wouldn't the X-Men go to Mars in Hickman's run? <laughs> Guys, <laughs> I started that article with the word y'all. <laughs> it was based on a pun and if it happens it's going to be beautiful and i will break down in tears <laughs> but guys come on so the other the other uh, theory is is uh one of the other theories is adam's the world theory which if people don't know the world it is a somewhat computer based but also it is some the facility is kind of a physical place that the Weapon Plus project put together to, like, almost act like a hyperbolic time chamber, if I recall. Yes. So yeah, it's a it's an evolution snow globe. Right. Yeah. Uh, so for people who like maybe weren't reading X Men for a certain period, this isn't going to make any sense. But if you go back to Bun's uh, IVX tie-ins, when they uh, fight Karnak, they bring Karnak into. It's Gene and the Cuckoos and Phantom X bring Karnak into the world to try and take him out of the fight. And during that issue, Phantom X pledges that he has figured out a way to quote unquote, become the world or infect the world with himself. And we don't hear anything else about that in Bun's run. And immediately after that, Soul introduces the concept that Professor X's, I guess, psyche that had been held captive by the Shadow King now inhabits Phantom X's body. So when we're talking about Professor X now as a living character, he is X. That That's is true. who he is right now. And X should have access to and control of the world. Now, we have seen in all of the artwork, red skies, little plants with red eyes, these flowers, um, so, and they're, they're doing this big promotional thing with Krakoa seeds. So I would like to imagine that that, that continuity is going to come into play. I am very well aware of the fact that Hickman is probably just going to say, and eh, no <laughs> to, <laughs> to this idea, but I, I do have hopes and dreams of it. What's the third one? Oh, Rob and I today thought that it would be cool if the Krakoa seeds somehow merged together to form a giant planet, which would oh, be the 10th yes. planet of the solar system, Planet X. I love it. Um, question for you. <laughs> uh-huh. There's only eight planets. What's the ninth? Uh, that is, you, you know, you make a fair point there. <laughs> 
remember, remember, we demoted Pluto after the guy who found him died. We said, okay, yep. no one's feelings are going to get hurt anymore. Pluto's not really a planet. He screwed up. Wait, I thought we brought it back. I thought Pluto came back. Pluto is not back. Oh. Pluto is still designated as a minor planet, a.k.a. a dwarf planet. It which... can't clear its local area. <sighs> okay. I don't which is it. why mm-hmm. Neptune and Pluto had weird orbits that every kid in science class was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. It's because Pluto messed up. That's it's right. true. Um, well, it... There is the the fiction. There the fictional. The the actual maybe possibly probable very large planet at the edge of the solar system. I think still is occasionally called Planet X for funsies. <laughs> You're um, not wrong. Hold on. May I may I throw out an idea? Yes. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, where the X Men's house is. <laughs> the other ones. Planet Ultron, Planet X. Okay, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> the, other, the other ones. I didn't want to get the order wrong. I know it's Jupiter, Saturn, uh, Neptune, and Uranus. Other way, but yes, it's Uranus, Neptune. But Well, you know what? You know, you did great. I tried so hard. <laughs> well, when you were I, watching football. I, I was obsessed with space. <laughs> when I learned the planets, there were nine. So kind of the public school system failed me. Come and also on. the private school My system. My very educated mother just served us nine. Pizzas. We don't get pizza anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they took away the pizza. Thanks, Michelle Obama. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, See that was a very that was a very deep education joke. That right was with the, with the pizza <laughs> with cafeteria food policies. <laughs> oh, you get pizza now. It's just a whole wheat crust. Oh, that's good. Is it vegan? No. <laughs> oh, okay. That'd be expensive for public school. Yeah. yeah. A non-GMO vegan whole wheat crust probably be good though. Probably. I don't know if the government's behind the whole G- if if GMOs are bad for you. No, GMOs are fine. People freak out over nothing. The science is there, folks. It's true. You're, this this podcast is hosted by a molecular biologist, so I'm, I'm pretty much on board. Okay, but are you, Rob's are question. Four settings. Bit. Four? What's the fourth? We, I don't know. I, I am honestly not certain what Yeah, is there a the fourth, fourth one? one? Or was he There's... just separating the Krakoa stuff from the other stuff i don't know because i the krakoa stuff is obviously involved i don't know if that's gonna if that's gonna need debate one way or the other am i getting an entire packet of 25 krakoa seeds sent to my house yes how'd you do that yeah how'd you get that talk to people oh (laughs) zach you better grow me some krakoa flowers that's i'm gonna try i'm gonna get into video And the video is just going to be me watering my Krakoa seeds every day. <laughs> oh my gosh, I want to do that. Christy's very good at video. Oh, video editing? Yeah. Yeah, I edit all of our school's announcements, our video announcements. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. yeah. We had we had a, a question happen while we were answering questions. Oh, this is from J. Jonah Jameson at JJJ Bugle News. I think, is this the same account that asks questions from War Rocket, of War Rocket Ajax? I do believe it is, yes. Okay. Um, I, I think I know who runs this one, just based on that. Um, y'all like werewolves? Yeah, I like werewolves. Yeah, I like, like werewolves. Like, like fictional werewolves or like real werewolves? Like I, uh, werewolves that, that your spaceman son turns into, if, if it's J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> You know about John Jameson, don't you, Adam? 
He's, yeah. he's, a, he's a werewolf. He's the wolf and, man. He's and a an man astronaut. Wolf. All I'm saying he has, he has is an opulent. that I am totally fine with fictional werewolves. I just don't want any in my real life. <laughs> Why haven't John Jameson and Wolfsbane teamed up? Were they in Cap Wolf? I forget if John Jameson was in that. Oh man, I wish. I, I like uh, this being revealed that um, Adam is a NIMBY, but for werewolves. You're a not in my backyard for werewolves. I really like that. To be fair, I feel like that's a pretty good position to have. Yeah, I mean, do you really want a werewolf in your house? <laughs> you absolutely do not. Well, what if they're not transformed? Do do I want a Cap Wolf movie? Yes. Absolutely. Do I want a werewolf in my backyard? No. <laughs> Well, thank you, J. Jonah Jameson. I'm glad we got a, a one a role play account. That's very nice of them. One point, I do not believe that uh, J. Uh, John Jameson was in Cap Wolf, so him and Wolfsbane uh, have not had a team up, which is very sad. That is very sad. All right. Uh, well, let's go back to back to Boda and accolades. Accolades. <laughs> Okay, so starting with best line. Chris, what is your best line? My best line is is when Colossus decides to do his best Don Draper, which is actually his best reference from the Fountainhead. And Molly is fighting him and it's like she says something about like having always wanted to fight him since the the Baxter building wars. And he says, "That's the difference between us, Molly. I give you no thought at all." Which is such Ooh. a burn. Sick burn. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Oh, Christy. All right. My best line comes from uh, Maria Hill, where she exclaims, God, when did Wolverine become the reasonable one? <laughs> I just really good. enjoyed that. <laughs> that, was, that was a that was a close second for mine. OK, what was your first one? My first one is uh, future Quentin Quire's laugh after uh, <laughs> after yes. Quire asks him when he's going to get out of the school. <laughs> that was very good. And he just laughs and walks off. All right. I've got one. Okay. This isn't a line, but there's there's a quick exchange when Wolverine is starting to figure out who the future brotherhood is. He has this exchange with Molly Hayes <laughs> and he says, you, I don't know. Uh, Molly Hayes, I still don't know who you are. When I was a kid, I was one of the runaways. We've met like six times. <laughs> I just like <laughs> I like that exchange. All right, that is that. No, that's very good. All right. Canonically, Molly Hayes does hate Wolverine. Yep, fair. All right. Next up, we have greatest hero. Christy, who's your greatest hero? I want to give it to Magic again on this episode. That's fair. Magic, she gets a lot done. <laughs> Yeah, yep. And she seems even under duress. Seems like she keeps it together pretty well, with like one small exception. And she does the most good stuff. They'd all be like dead if if she wasn't a taxi cab for the X Men. She's also she does a big stab in this one. Yeah, <laughs> she does. That she doesn't does the big that stab. doesn't apparently mean anything at all. Uh, soul swords are confusing. <laughs> There's a child that was living in a soul sword for a while. <laughs> Good vacation spot. Zach, do you have a greatest hero? Yeah, my greatest hero is uh, Kitty Pride, who I think is kind of the like big influence, especially at the end, saying, hey, no, I'm going to let these kids do what they feel like because you know they should be able to make their own decisions. So normally we reserve this for when there's two of us, but this is a daily double between you and me because I also <laughs> picked Kitty Pride. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unless it's also Adam's. 
Yeah, Adam, who's your who's your greatest hero? I don't know, man. Are there heroes in this story? <laughs> like everybody is just so confused all the time. So I think I think I would go with magic. She does solve Yeah, the problem. Daily Devil on the other side. We have an yeah. X of Daily Devils. So what does that mean? <laughs> what happens? <laughs> we we're I'll have to overlap different versions of you doing the do 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably lots of audio of me doing that. (laughs) (laughs) This is good pod. Laser fight. (laughs) All right. So coolest moment, Christy. What is your coolest moment? Coolest moment. I love when future Gene just really lays into Wolverine and Cyclops. And... I I think the art on that page is particularly uh, pretty, but she just basically calls them out for arguing with each other and ruining everything and ruining her life. And I just thought that was, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad she got to have that time. <laughs> it was a little therapy for her. It was pretty right? good. Uh, my coolest moment is going to be, there's one page where Isad Ribic gets to draw sentinels. And that's a very cool page. Oh, yeah. oh yay! <laughs> we got another one. That's Zach's coolest moment. Yeah, as as much as Assad probably doesn't fit the rest of the book, that page is dope. No, that and I don't. So I don't even know if this is like the the bits where he where he's drawing a lot of a lot of it doesn't work for me. Uh, not even necessarily like tone, like literally like in a vacuum. I look at this compared to like his Secret Wars stuff, and I'm like, eh. But that yeah that that page is really awesome they almost look like they're like sentinels in the mist almost yeah it's epic yep um adam can you give us your coolest moment yeah um i'm gonna go with the second reveal of the future brotherhood which is in all new x-men number 16 it's part two Mm -hmm. of the crossover and it's the second time we see them and it's a two-page spread uh, that Eminem and uh, Von Grab, I never pronounced Wade Von Grab, Wade, Wade Von Grab, yep, Wade Von Grab. I just did it wrong again. It's just absolutely beautiful, and I love these characters, and I like that moment. All right, uh, my favorite, the Crusher Creel Award for silly villainy. I know we we need more accolades. I feel like, but uh, that, that I want a patron to give us one. Yeah, that is you a, can that is become a, a patron goal. and make a make us a new accolade, and we will have to do it every episode from now until eternity. It's true <laughs> until we're forty five years old. <laughs> until apparently, future me isn't into this comics stuff anymore. <laughs> Thanks for that cold open. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not a thing I write. That really happened. <laughs> So, Chris, who is your Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy? Who does that go to? My, it goes to Jean Grey for getting so mad she blows up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But mine's also future Jean, but for slightly different yeah. different reasons. Go for it. Just particularly just the, the page, the page that I have saved in front of me right now is the welcome to your future X-Men. Hope you survive the experience. Oh, it's so extra. It, it's a it lot. Is. She just she just six all of shield on them. It just how how did that become an X Men catchphrase? Because that was just a <laughs> cover blurb. They didn't it know is. that Chris Claremont had said that. <laughs> it's a lot. Oh man. 
Uh, do right. you guys have some Crusher Creel awards for silly villainy? And oh. why is it Gene? Oh, I, I've got one. <laughs> I Adam, what's one. your Zach. Crusher Creel award for silly villainy? I want to hear yours. Um, guys, there's no other answer to this than Ray's. Come on. <laughs> I hate Ray's. All right, so look. In these three issues to me, he wasn't particularly ridiculous, but... He d- throughout the, the crossover. Throughout the crossover, he is, he's a whole lot. All right, and I recognize that there needs to be the, the Kitty Pride fake out, but Raze as a villain is the worst. Not the worst the of the worst. worst. There's way worse villains, but as, as part of the future brotherhood, he is the weakest link, and it drives me nuts. They were just like, oh, yeah, Mystique and Wolverine had a kid, and now he's got claws, and he can shapeshift, and they have the same powers. Just <laughs> <laughs> him existing? That's so good. He's terrible. He's terrible. <laughs> anyway, all right, Zach, who's yours? My Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy is Professor Xavier Jr. for <laughs> sicking a Krakoa on people and saying, hey, Krakoa, eat them and don't stop eating them. <laughs> he does no do that. In how the... much it hurts. He's such a mean. <laughs> Krakoa was a good guy at this point, Christy, yeah. and I was so sad. Yeah, he's a lawn. He is. He is. <laughs> he is yeah, he's a lawn. He just wanted to join the X-Men. It was so good. So pure. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Adam and Zach, thank you for coming on and talking Boda. Thank you for having us. Yeah, and if people want to find you on the internet, where can they find you? You can find our podcast on any podcatcher of your choice. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the other ones, at Just Look for Battle of the Atom. Our 100th episode is coming up very shortly, and it's going to be a lot of fun. You can uh, also follow us on Twitter. I am at Xavier Files. Uh, and also XavierFiles.com is where we host the show. And we have all the latest and greatest in X-Men news, trivia, bad fan fiction about how the Chuck Austin run relates to Catholic canon. It's, there's a <laughs> lot there. Adam, what about you? Where, where are you at? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. If you're listening to this podcast and you, um, you know, have never listened to our podcast. You may not know that I do a, a web comic called Bish and Jubes. We're in the fifth and final issue. And, uh, I, I, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but you will get some more future brotherhood stuff right now. The future brotherhood beast is a recurring character in the, uh, the fourth and fifth issues. So if you like these characters, you probably like that. You can go see that at Adam tumblr.com new pages come out every monday back to you chris and christy you can follow our podcast on twitter and facebook at chris's pod you can email us at chris's on infinite earths at gmail.com we have a patreon www.patreon.com slash chris's pod you can donate to us in several different levels and get some cool rewards uh, including making us permanently add an accolade or forcing us to do a crossover whether we want to or not yeah, you can pull a Chris and make us read something awful. <laughs> Yikes. You can also donate us donate to us in one-time amounts on our Kofi www.ko-fi.com slash Chris's on Infinite Earths. Three dollars, six dollars, twelve dollars, no more. You could do a lot more. <laughs> All right. Thank you, readers. Thank you, Zach and Adam, so much for being with us. And until next time, slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours.